Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. The flagship rewards credit card offers three times points on all travel purchases and two times points on everything else. Three times the points on travel means getting rewarded while road tripping or even commuting to work. You'll also get other benefits like a statement credit for global entry and TSA pre-check of up to $100, 24-7 stateside member support and access to Navy Federal's online shopping center. Check out NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply now. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org slash flagship for more information. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by If Beale Street Could Talk. If Beale Street Could Talk is, above all else, a love story. From Barry Jenkins, the writer and director of the Oscar-winning Moonlight, comes a soulful drama about the power of love. Based on James Baldwin's acclaimed novel of the same name, this moving story embraces the triumph of love and family. See if Beale Street could talk in select theaters December 14th. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, El Pollo Mojado. That's, that's you. <laughs> it's Andy Greenwald. That's you. That's some wet chicken, man. How you doing, buddy? It's raining in California. We're in a weird mood. It's Thursday. It's the re-up. We don't really call it the re-up anymore. Do you know when the best thing that's come out of... Chris's cooking time, Chris's cooking corner, What's all that? spelled with K's for no reason on this podcast. <laughs> like Cliff Kingsbury? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The wet chicken emoji, where it's just like the slobbery wet drip drips, yeah. and then the chicken. Yeah, the, the, the baby and young gutter. That's the tri- <laughs> So are you saying, on this podcast, we haven't seen each other in days, you're saying... That wet chicken drips too hard? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It really does. Wow. Oh, uh, Andy, we have so many recipes to talk about. Let's um, keep it cooking. But let's get right into the pop culture news of the day. We're going to talk about uh, the Golden Globe nominations, specifically the TV ones, because Sean and Amanda thoroughly covered the movie ones this morning on The Big Picture. I mean, I, I haven't listened to that podcast. Sean's been up since like 2 in the morning, <laughs> just doing knuckle push-ups yeah. and getting ready for these noms. This is ex- He loves noms. He's doing incredible work on The Big Picture, so if you want to get a sense of like what the, how the Oscar race is shaping up, how award season is shaping up, please listen to The Big Picture. So we're going to talk mostly about television stuff. We also but have a couple of bits of news. I can't talk about Justice for Bohemian Rhapsody, which sight unseen just seems like one of the best dramas of the year. <laughs> we can't talk about that on this show? We can. Okay. okay. That's what jumps out at you. It does. Uh, also, we want to get to this, uh, this really like Pretty pressing Cruella DeVille news. You were so hype on this. Okay. This is the thing. That, this story has been driving me nuts, so I can't wait to get into it. This story has legs. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the Game of Thrones teaser, which really isn't a ton to talk about there, and the Captain Marvel teaser. So where do you want to start? Tease me. Uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones just came out. So there's a, currently a conversation happening in the Ringer Slack. Okay. Again, something else that I'm not welcome to be a part of, but that's cool. Do you think... They will release any footage before season eight. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we live in a trailer economy. Like, the fact that they are releasing this much non-footage now speaks to how much HBO is aware of how culture works in 2018 going into 2019. This is Game of Thrones. This is the biggest show on television a case could be made. It's the most popular, biggest, certainly the biggest. Just leave all the other specifics out of it. The biggest show in the history of the medium. Yeah. 
they don't need— Alan Alda somewhere is just like, you think so, huh? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> God, I wish he was here. They don't need to be blanketing the major metropolises of the United States with very expensive billboards reminding us of moments that happened on Game of Thrones in other years, as they are doing right now. Yeah. Um, they don't need any of it. But they understand that it's not just that you have to— uh, it's not just what you've done before. It's you have to stay at the forefront of people's minds. You have to get people excited. You have to be fueling the conversation. And that conversation cannot begin in April when the final season begins, which is a fact we all know. Yeah. Uh, probably would have known without these billboards. So we will see more content. I think it will be extremely limited. Yeah. Critics certainly will not be getting full episodes, but we will see snippets of something to get people excited. And, you know, I, I am impressed. Their ability to do absolutely nothing and get people hype is, is next level. It's it's Feige esque, dare I say? It is. Yeah, uh, the, I mean, there's the, not really trailer. a lot to pull from this teaser. It's essentially uh, a a model map of of Westeros and uh, and some ice. But that's not all there is. And a dragon. What's on the other side of the ice? Fire. Yeah. So yeah. they're really doing that, that's huh? The duality. Uh, so I, I leave this symbolism to binge mode. I'm not really sure. No, I mean I'm serious because like there's a lion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I don't really, I don't really know what to do with that. This is this hard hitting analysis that people tune in for. I was more curious about whether or not, yeah. like, is it possible? And I'm, and I, without any inside information, obviously, right, that the final few episodes are going to be so rife with character death that it's almost impossible to show much from the season, other than the great game is upon us, you know, like that, like kind of like. I have no idea. I mean, it's pretty. We always say this when we talk about Game of Thrones, and honestly, it's fun to be saying it again because it's fun when Game of Thrones is happening. Mm -hmm. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to watch. There's a version of this where we're able to just sit back and just, we certainly, I've been using this analogy too much, so I'm retiring it now. We certainly have all bought tickets for this, and now we can just enjoy the rest of the ride yeah. over these last six episodes, which are likely to be extended episodes, pretty long episodes from what we understand. Or there's a version of it where dissatisfying or tone-deaf or surprising deaths or res or quick resolution starts happening right from jump in the season premiere. And it's like, we're kind of in that weird, am I satisfied or am I disappointed space for six weeks? I don't really think that's going to be the case, but, you know, I got to leave it to binge mode to decide how yeah. we're supposed to feel about this stuff. I think for us and what our perspective on the show has been and probably will be, is really more at this point about talking, because I think there was just some like George R. R. Martin just dropped some 800 page book that's not the book everyone's waiting for. Did you yeah, see that? It's, it's. I know what it, you're talking it, about. It's, it's like story adjacent. Yeah, or something. right. How do you feel right now having taken this year off? Do you feel as excited as ever to get back to it? Do you feel actually, was there a moment when you saw that billboard of, of John uh, as he, when he's surrounded by the bodies from the Battle of the Bastard that's up on like Hollywood and Franklin? Mm -hmm. Were you like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want TV to make me feel like that again. Are you excited? Are you? Where are you in your own journey? Well, I think we talked a little bit about this when we recorded with Sam for the year-end podcast about the excitement around. There still is like a real excitement around Sunday night event television and the idea of there being like these things being parceled out and everybody kind of being on the same schedule. And I think that that is the thing that I'm really looking forward to mm -hmm. with Game of Thrones is the feeling of almost like a mini sports season and that we'll all kind of be on the same you know, football night in America schedule mm -hmm. with this show. Uh, they will 
almost certainly not be sharing it with others beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that part of it and the idea of it being like this this anticipatory thing is really exciting. You know, I think that there's a little bit of a coda to to feeling to this mini season that they're doing here. I think they've told the story that they're telling. Yes, I do too. And uh, this is a little bit more of a supernatural, mystical kind of fight that we're into for. And well, but and, there's and, a and, lot and, about the game of there's a lot about Game of Thrones as a story that was so subversive about our kind of understanding of like the, the you know this person needs to live and conquer this person. You know, we all you know if you didn't read the books, you'd be like, right, this is the story of how Rob Stark saves saves his family, right? Uh, and I think that will they, how will they continue to subvert that and how do they do that off of book basically is a fascinating question. I also think it's worth considering as the very noisy, very expensive end of an era on television. For sure. And for sure. I know this firsthand and I'm sure anyone who else who's ever worked on any production on any level will attest to this. There's always an element on anything, even the most blessed and fortunate productions in history that were then, you know, resulted in great ratings, great awards. There's always an element of, I can't believe we got away with this. I can't believe we tricked them. I can't believe we fooled them. I can't believe we're going to somehow pull this off despite what it seemed like 10 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. That's always the case. But for as much as a, you know, at this point, God knows how many hundreds of millions of dollars they spent on the show, there is kind of a, it was never an underdog, but it's insane that the show became what it became. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you consider the scope of the stories and people who had read the books before, would have felt this way from the beginning. They were probably, probably Jason and Mallory thought when they read the books, boy, if anyone ever gets this right, this could be the biggest story in the world. Yeah. Or this could be the most exciting television or show or movie or whatever it was going to be in the world. But, you know, it was Tom McCarthy directed a busted pilot of this yeah. show. David Benioff and his buddy Dan Weiss had written. Uh-huh. Well, Benioff certainly had with a lot of credits. and But they had never done this. I mean, not only had they never run a, you know, multi-hundred million dollar production in multiple European countries. They'd never run a TV show. Yeah. Many of these actors who we now take for granted as appearing in other blockbusters. Or were character actors. Or children. Yeah. It's astonishing that they pulled this off to the degree of quality that they did and the degree of success that now we take it for granted that this is just going to be the most visually spectacular thing. The next era of storytelling on this level are shows and projects that were born on third base and are going to try to convince you that they hit a triple. They're going to be like Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings show, which we are going to keep mentioning this. And it won't matter if the show's good, but it will always be matter if you're following the industry. A quarter of a billion dollars just to have the rights to consider developing a TV show before you start spending a quarter of a billion dollars on the production. Exactly. So it is the end of I don't know. Is it the end of the horse before the cart era of TV? Certainly, maybe on the genre. So while we wait for the show, think maybe it's fun. It's fun for me anyway to think about all of it. The, from the billboards to the actual content as part of this last hurrah. Yeah, and I think it's, a, speaking of last hurrahs, you know, obviously the Avengers cycle that we know of in the Marvel and the MCU is coming to an end, but before that, we will get Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. I think there's always these Marvel movies that are like the starting the new phase ones. What were some of the other ones that were kind of like that? Well, this, Guardians, isn't, this I guess. isn't starting the new phase. This is the last new thing in the last phase. Yeah, but I think even by introducing a new character mm-hmm. and introducing a new face and probably having a slightly different sensibility, like, and it'll be something And this is the first of her seven-picture deal mm-hmm. or whatever she signed. And she's supposed to be incredibly important to the MCU. I think, obviously, they've, they have talked or there's been rumors that the MCU is going to be a lot more of like a cosmic space opera mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to steal a freeze and uh this seems to be pushing it that way i you know captain marvel stars brie larson it seems like it's gonna have quite a uh 
another larger performance from Samuel L. Jackson, who's usually like a tertiary character with Nick, Nick got the, Fury. Got them Irishman ping pong balls on him to de-age him. Uh, I gotta say, like, so... I should say, that the Irishman is the Netflix movie that cost $300 million that... They just, they instead de-aged. of casting younger actors, they just de-aged Robert De Niro. I didn't want yeah. our audience or half of you to feel like I was being some, I, some way culturally dismissive. I made an dismissive. Irishman joke last week, Okay, good. Okay, go uh, with Captain Marvel, I just gotta tell you just straight up between... Two guys who who share chicken recipes between the two of them. Mm. I don't understand who the Kree and the Skrulls are really, and what their what their problem is. You making me do this? Yeah. So that seems to be like the major. I didn't expect that to be the major part of what Captain Marvel is about. The, the Kree Skrull War, Chris. Oh Christ! Someone get me. Someone just. Can we lose power just right now, <laughs> Kaya? If you're ever going to listen to this podcast, Kaya, now is the time to come in and save the day. These are warring alien races. They come from the Stan Lee and Jack Kirby early era of Marvel Universe and Fantastic Four, and continually at the margins of all the space storytelling that's taken place in the Marvel Universe, and then you know increasingly more relevant to the MCU as comics because mm-hmm. people were like, wait, so the Skrulls aren't just goofy. They always had the same backstory, but they're not just goofy green aliens with funky chins. Um, they also are shapeshifters, which it was could be played for goofs but it's also kind of also kind of cool that anybody could be a bad guy and that was a big storyline so they're shapeshifters but they choose to have that that chin they're proud of themselves okay why, why, why you gotta hate on that let, let people be okay i don't see color when it comes to aliens with <laughs> fucked up chins chris the kree are blue yeah i know all right i know but we saw kree characters in um was in guardians, the guardians right, right? Yeah. but also what, what movie was what movie was lee pace last in because Lee Pace is in this one. Oh, isn't he in Thor? Oh, he was a bad guy in the first Guardians or something. Whatever. Who cares? Yeah. That's the real takeaway here, Chris. <laughs> here, here's my takeaway from this. I, I think that Captain Marvel as a comic book character is incredibly exciting. If people care about this sort of thing, what the writer Kelly Sue DeConnick did to sort of re, not not re, reimagine, basically reintroduce a character who always should have been one of the central characters in the in the Marvel comic book universe and make her someone who stands toe-to-toe with Captain America and Iron Man was crucial. Yeah. And that is where they're going with the movies. She is the most powerful or one of the most powerful people and a leader, and it's exciting. It's set up for her. We're going to get this backstory in the prequel film in the 90s, and then I'm sure she's going to come rushing in to save the day in Avengers 4, which comes out a short time later. Yes. This trailer did not give me a lot of confidence about the project. You You don't think Annette Bening staring into the galaxy... Well, here's why. The, th- the reason people are pointing to two movies as benchmarks that led to this movie uh, and their success, of course. One is DC's Wonder Woman and one is Black Panther, mm-hmm. which was recently nominated for Best Picture at the Golden Globes. One thing that I really admired about those movies is that they owned the movie that they were. Wonder Woman was just about that character of Wonder Woman going through the world and reintroducing herself to the world or introducing herself to the world. Black Panther had completely, for as much as anything under the MCU uh, rubric can, it was its own thing, Mm -hmm. with its own style, with its own point of view, with its own sound and feel, and certainly color palette. I don't know if Marvel's playing it safe with the trailer or they played it safe with the movie, but so much of this is about the Kree scroll intergalactic. It's weird that that's like the forward thing. That's it's like exactly when they've got, it. they're thinking to themselves, like we've got, and it was debuted on Monday Night Football. So it wasn't like a cheap ad. A lot of Kree heads. In and the they crowd. were like, we got to make sure we push the Kree scroll mm. angle here. 
It's right. not about who the hell Captain Marvel is and what she does and what her vibe is to get people excited about it. It's way more about what's this cosmic civil war happening. Yes, and what else there is in it is more like, oh, is this is like a 90s female-led Starman. Yeah. It's like, well, I have some past here. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, that could be exactly what you said, a decision that they're trying to, that they're using to make people, to make a football crowd be like, oh, cool, there's going to be space punching. Because the battle stuff at the end, when she's got her, like, mohawk helmet on, was cool. That looked cool. A lot of Fine. screenplay credits on this one. Seven. Seven, name, seven name, credits. Oh, this is official. Name them. Name them. Uh, Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck, who also directed the movie. And I have a lot of time for them. They're super talented. Geneva robertson Dorrett and Jack Schaefer. Okay. Nicole Perlman, Joe Shrapnel, and Anna Waterhouse. There's a bunch of story buys. So here. this is— And then obviously, like, it's based on the Roy Thomas and Gene Cullen. I mean, this is how this is how your major studio motion picture sausage is made, mm-hmm. with competing writers' rooms, competing drafts, and they jam it all together. And if you worked on it at all, then you file arbitration and you get credit and— it can be messy, and good movies can come from that. That's not in and itself an indictment. But the key to—I'm not raising any warning flags. Nobody, nobody's checking for that. But I'm just saying the key to Kevin Feige's success in the Marvel movies has been a clarity of vision. Tony Stark, kind of an asshole, needs the suit to live, right? Captain yeah. America, the ultimate Boy Scout. There's, there's the log line. There's the one line that you understand. Even something that they, we said— before we saw it, they didn't need to make Ant-Man. Like, okay, well, he's a thief. And goofy stuff happens. I mean, it's just, it's easier. It, they communicate it well, yes. even when the concept yeah. is a little far-fetched. You got to make it for, for the diehards and for the casuals. And this one seems confused to me right now. And it's not being helped by, at least from the trailer, I can't believe I'm saying this, love Brie Larson. Not totally buying it Yeah, well, so far. So, I think that we talk about a lot on the rewatchables. Is we talk about the sort of weird charisma that movie stars have that it, you know people have spent a hundred years trying to define. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I have any problem with Brie Larson as an actress or as a person, but I don't know if she's a movie star. It's so weird if you had weird, had problems with her as a person. But you know, and like, you brought them up now. We ought, what we usually say is like, oh, I don't know if that director was ready to be moved into that huge blockbuster right. tentpole thing, and that that frequently will happen where somebody goes and makes like a pretty cool smaller movie and then they get scooped up by Marvel or they scooped up by Star Wars yeah. or DC and asked to like do do a blockbuster. And in this case, I kind of just feel like Brie Larson was like five movies away from being either well-known enough or having like a, a big enough personality to do this. Well, right. Personality is key. And also it's a question of looking at what people we're good at in their situation, right? This is, I'm not going to try to make like an NBA analogy, but I feel like there's room to, for one Go to be for made it. here. I'm not going to. You should come in and fix this <laughs> oh, for <me> okay. <laughs> in post. But I mean, look at what she excelled at. And they were often due to her intensity and commitment to performance and in smaller situational, emotional, reactive roles from short-term 12 to room to just being really alive in a very small frame in like a Joe Swanberg movie, mm-hmm. like Digging for Fire, which she's in one scene, and I think about it a lot. It's a great scene. That's not necessarily the same skill set. And obviously her timetable was pushed up by winning the Best Actress Oscar, as was her quote, as was Marvel's interest in her, because they were like, well, she's a star, and we get an Oscar winner. I mean, let's go all in. This could still work. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I didn't think Paul Rudd was going to be— Right, the star of a of a Marvel movie either, and he it, it worked out fine there. 
it's just that now they don't have two bad Thor movies to let Chris Hemsworth find the right tenor of the character. I think that's they kind of have to make this work pretty immediately. I think worrying about whether or not Marvel is hit, hit like a rut is silly because obviously it just yeah. doesn't seem to matter. But I think it's worth keeping an eye on. They haven't hit a rut. They've announced Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, as the next movie, which actually— I can't believe you stuck a Shang-Chi. You wanted to know if I was going to bring it up last week. That news broke. Yeah, man, let's do it. No, I don't know what you're talking about. That's a character that I thought would be a Netflix show. Ah, like that, that, like like many characters, like like Luke Cage as well. Shang Chi came out of the '70s when Marvel was being a little bit more reactive to the culture, and Bruce Lee movies, kung fu things were a hit. Also, they were in the spirit of the company, which was always the case. They were paying some attention to representation, and they created um, their first Asian superhero, who was Shang Chi, the master of kung fu. And he's like hung out with the Defenders, and like Lola, he's been an Avenger. But it is the kind of thing where it's really just an idea. At this point, you know, it's really just a concept and a name. They hired a, a really certain, highly pedigreed Asian-American screenwriter to basically have at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they want to. This is this is cynical, but they're like, let's Black Panther it. Yeah. But, okay, why not, right? Let's see what, let's see what happens. It's more of a blank slate, and it's a, which is only to say that going forward, that's possible. This Captain Marvel thing is a tough beat because they're like, we're going to introduce you to the, uh, the most— one of the most crucial characters for our decade-plus story going forward, and we're going to introduce you to her right in the middle of the crisis point for the story we've told so far. She's yeah. got to carry all of this yeah. and make an independent— and make She's a, the person—she's the Ghostbuster that they call it the end of the last Avengers. Right. So let's talk a little about Golden Globes before we get into the favorite uh-huh. and to Maisel. But I'm not allowed to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody's stunning. <laughs> I don't care. Best drama— Television series Golden Globes nominations was Americans, uh-huh. Bodyguard. No commentary from you. Well, I'm just running through the noms. Americans, Bodyguard, Homecoming, Killing Eve, Pose. Best comedy, Barry, Good Place, Kidding, The Kaminsky Method. I mean. And The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm-hmm. That's this year's Marvelous Mrs. Maisel that just came out yesterday. Is it? Is it? Isn't that how oh, it works? Was it won last year? Didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess, guess so. The, that's what this is. Okay. Um, I mean, they also nominated Vice for a bunch of stuff, and Vice isn't available. Vice isn't going to be out until Christmas. Look, <laughs> I mean, I, I we say this. The biggest the biggest shock here is that there's no Atlanta. No Brian Tyree Henry, no Atlanta. Glover got nominated for actor. They, they pretty much ignored Atlanta. They also ignored Succession, for what it's worth. No, Kieran Culkin got nominated. Oh, okay. Look, I say this every year, and I'll say it again. There is no greater cultural authority than a ragtag anonymous group of aging horse trading hyper secretive. That's why I was like loath to do this because I just like weirdos. it just isn't it isn't what we think it is. It isn't. And the one thing that we don't know about this. And by the way, I actually don't know if this group of voters is any better or worse than the much more official pedigreed Academy of Television Arts and Scientists voters because ultimately it's a grab bag, right? And the benefit of having this done by a group of strangers is interesting things bubble to the top, yeah. which can matter. It can affect it. We Every year I say this, but um, Golden Globes are where shows get their I'm being taken seriously debut. Um, and especially, I think some of the actors and actresses can start the narrative or like yes. capture the narrative around it, like their 
their story. Homeland won Best Drama a few weeks or months after it premiered. Mm-hmm. Mr. Robot won Best Drama a few months after it premiered. It can mint a show to some Maisel stuff. won last yeah. year. The conversation that we're going to have about Maisel momentarily, the conversation that's been in the press about it, is directly affected by its presence at the Golden Globes last year. And of course, it, it actually won at the Emmys as well. It's super random. And the thing that you can never talk about, really, or account for, is that lobbying makes a difference. Now, we live in a town where for your consideration season is a season. Lobbying matters for all the awards. And for some reason, it gets a bad rap because for the Golden Globes, you are actually like have to shake hands and have a demitasse with Count Baron von, I love the Kaminsky <laughs> method. You know what Baron I mean? von Kaminsky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The inspiration for the show, as opposed to just having a panel moderated by Chris Ryan that, you know, that will sway voters for the same opportunity, basically. It's just like me and Jason Bateman, and I'm crying. In a demitasse. Yeah. Um, so, but but it is true. Uh-huh. And the one, and, and particularly in the case of the Golden Globes, because they're such a small voting block, if you don't play the game, you probably won't get nominated. It, take it for what it is, which is it's a great party. Uh, Sandra Oh and Andy Samberg are hosting it this year. But to Atlanta, either they just didn't like it, because that is the subsection of people who vote for the Golden Globes, uh-huh. or or Donald didn't go to the lunch. You know, yeah. I, I, we don't know that, right. and that does matter. So, But out of this list, uh, this is a better list of drama nominees than the Emmys had. And I say that as someone who didn't necessarily like Bodyguard that much. And I did not, and this is on me, I did not give Pose the attention that many people who I trust and respect said that it deserves and I should remedy that. You're such a stand for the Americans. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I, I used to be. I, so I took a lot of— You like this, this collection, though? Well, I like it because it's, it's different. Yeah. Killing Eve is there. That's great. Homecoming is there. Body- did Sam get up at 5.30 a.m.? Uh, Sam's in New York. Okay. So he, he, he got he the probably news awake anyway. <laughs> at a normal time. Yeah. But like, I, I like new blood in this. I mm-hmm. like a different type of conversation. And, you know, I mean, you, I don't know why you're, 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 you're bagging on me. Your, your show bodyguard is there. <laughs> My show. Your show. <laughs> the show that you love and hold precious. I mean, bodyguard didn't make my top 10, you know. It made your top 10 impressions of the year, it as really far as did. I'm concerned. I mean, my, my Richard Madden, Vicky. <laughs> but, like, people love Outlander, for example, uh-huh. and say that it's terrific, and they particularly talk about Kytrona Balf's performance. It's good to have different people nominated and to be recognized for good work that they're doing outside of the same five or six people who get rubber-stamped every year. Now, on, on the comedy side, it's a little weird. I mm-hmm. mean, we used to joke about how the Emmys in the old days when there was a much stronger TV movie divide that like if a movie star just deigned to show up, they would just get on TV, they would just get nominated mm-hmm. and win. That's kind of what Kidding's presence here feels like because what a strange show that that is. Although that there never are a bunch of people about. who are like Kidding is a masterpiece. Really? Like, they're, I mean, like in my mentions, I don't know if like those may be Russian Kidding bots, but... <laughs> It is It is strange, by the way. and It I, has I, its pa- passionate fans. It's very strange that there was a Michelle Gondry TV show with Jim Carrey and Catherine Keener and Judy Greer, and it just kind of seems to have missed the mark or the conversation, but not with these guys. Yeah. and But Kaminsky, similarly, it's like, well, Michael Douglas is on TV yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, this is like, they, they are the, this is the show where they're like, can we get minted celebrities to show up? What is it going to take? Yes. By the, oh, Donald Glover was nominated. But nothing else. Yeah, was but in the nothing. Show. But, I, yeah, but but guys, Allison Brie was not nominated for an Emmy for Glow, and she is nominated here. Yeah, there's some good stuff here. How about 
I mean, are there any other things that stood out to you, like Escape at Danamora, getting in there? Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of surprised that Drummer Girl didn't get, because that just seems like HFPA porn. <laughs> Little Drummer Girl does. It just seems like Chris Ryan porn. No, but like I, I think Night Manager got nominated for a bunch of stuff. It's breezier. Yeah, Night Manager was about linen shirts. You know what I mean? This is a, this was a different show. Okay, but the thing that it was more like HFPA is much more like a very English scandal. Like that yeah. got that got a lot of that got yeah. a lot of burn. The one thing that people have mentioned is just in terms of the Oscars is with the actors. It's like Ethan Hawke did not get nominated. Yeah. Um, I don't think Sam Elliott got nominated. A lot of Vice nominations. So just keep eyeball that because it's not entirely likely that once people start falling a little bit out of the conversation with those awards that they can get back in for Oscars. Oh, sure, if you're looking at it that way. Mm-hmm. The, the, only, uh, the other thing that I would say is the most interesting category to me is performance by an actress in a limited series or motion picture made for television. And that's Amy Adams, Sharp Objects, Patricia Arquette, Escape at Denimora, Connie Britton, Dirty John, Laura Dern, The Tale, Regina King, Seven Seconds. This is a category... By the way, Seven Seconds is only a limited series because Netflix canceled it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, so they were smart to reposition it. Right. What this category says to me is that it's working. Now, I don't mean TV is working. I mean the currently assembled machinery for actors and their agencies to navigate peak television Mm -hmm. is working. It certainly worked for Julie Roberts, but that's also because we are fans of the show that she was sure. joined in. I, I mean, I, I also, I, I liked Amy Adams' performance oh, in Sharp Objects. I yeah. think Patricia Arquette is genius in Escape at Danamora. Yeah. It's not about that. It's that these are high-profile, Oscar-winning, yeah. in some cases, actors choosing their projects, looking at the board in front of them. And I'm not in any way saying that these people chose projects based on chasing awards because certainly these are tremendous actresses. I don't think they operate that way. But their teams might, Mm -hmm. and their teams might, we'll put you in this, we'll get a prestige thing, and we'll get this and this. And they were proved right. Those performances on television get noticed and get them onto podiums, or at least get them at those round tables come this time of year. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about The Favorite and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the big homies at Sonos. Meet the Sonos Beam, the smart compact soundbar for your TV and the newest addition to the easy-to-use home sound system. The Beam is awesome. It just goes right there underneath your flat screen. The setup is so simple, and it brings everything you're watching to life. Whether it's sports, you feel like you're sitting courtside when you're watching NBA. If you're watching movies, it just brings the entire thing. It's like you're living inside of a movie theater. I cannot recommend it more highly. Beam lets you play everything you love from music and radio to movies, TV, podcasts, and more. You can use AirPlay to enjoy sound from your iPhone or iPad on Beam. And you enjoy deep bass and detailed stereo separation for music plus crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies. You can also get hands-free control with built-in Alexa. That way you can start a playlist, skip tracks, and pause simply by asking out loud. Plus, when you connect your Sonos speakers over Wi-Fi, you can put speakers in different rooms and listen to two things at the same time. Or you can send sound from your TV everywhere so you never miss a play if you're watching a game. You never miss a line of dialogue if you're watching a movie. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and order your Sonos Beam to start your smart home sound system. That's Sonos, S-O-N-O-S dot com. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Brilliant Earth. Brilliant Earth is the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry and the destination 
for creating your own custom engagement ring. Simply go to BrilliantEarth.com and pick from a variety of ethically sourced diamonds, gemstones, precious metals, and styles. Brilliant Earth's master jewelers bring to life iconic designs with exceptional craftsmanship and quality in every piece. You can create your own custom ring or pick from any of their exclusive, unique jewelry designs. Brilliant Earth offers engagement rings and vintage rings, as well as earrings, bracelets, and necklaces. Brilliant Earth is passionate about cultivating a more sustainable jewelry industry, so they go above and beyond the industry standard by offering beyond conflict-free diamonds, along with fine jewelry crafted from recycled precious metals. Outstanding service is the hallmark of the Brilliant Earth experience, so they offer free shipping and returns on U.S. orders, as well as flexible payment options. From December 3rd to December 14th, you'll receive a complimentary diamond bezel bracelet with purchase of an engagement ring. To see terms for this special offer and to shop all of Brilliant Earth's selections, just go to brilliantearth.com slash watch. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Dell. The Dell XPS 13 with an Intel Core i7 processor is the laptop for people who never say no to one more episode. With lifelike color, brilliant sound clarity, and smooth streaming, Dell Cinema Technology makes the XPS 13 the perfect laptop for people who watch things on their laptop. Call 800-BY-DELL to learn more or visit dell.com slash dellcinema. All right, we're back, Andy. We could talk about Maisel or The Favorite first, or we could talk about them together because while I'm just grouping them sort of randomly, favorites out in theaters, I know at least in New York and L.A., I'm not sure how wide it's gone yet, but it's just an amazing movie <laughs> to, to experience. Our boy Yorgos Lanthimos, his new film with Olivia. Is he our boy? I think so. Our great Greek son, Yorgos? You, you stay killing sacred deers. I, I think he's great. I, I would just mess uh, with him. Olivia Coleman, Rachel Weiss, and Emma Stone in that one. And then um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which Andy likes more than me, but I, I also quite enjoy, is also back for its second season. Well, do you want to talk Maisel? Let's, let's stick with TV for a minute and talk Maisel. Okay. Where were you on the first season? Uh, I did not love the beginning of it. Like I, I think I, I think with Amy Sherman Palladino, mm-hmm. I just need to, I just need to warm up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's not that right it's an in. acquired taste necessarily. Like I think it's just like crackling dialogue, and it's it all the performances are calibrated in a certain way to deliver that dialogue. And as soon as you start to fall into rhythm with it, you're like, oh yes, I love this. But it just took me a little while to warm up. I think I watched the pilot twice. And then finally, like one day, watched like the whole season, you mm-hmm. know? And I felt some similar stuff happening with this season where I started it and I was like, oh gosh, I got to get used to the fact mm-hmm. that the dialogue is kind of forward beyond like performance and consequences of actions. Mm-hmm. And that like it's all about the banter mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And the movement, whether it's ver- verbal or people dancing behind them. Right. It's just a, it's a f- hard-charging, fast show. Right. So and you love the first season. I love the first season totally. I found it just incredibly moving, incredibly entertaining, incredibly impressive from a performance and production standpoint. I really felt that it was the best case, at least that I had seen, of what Amy Sherman Palladino does best, which is everything we're saying in her dialogue and her wit, but really like wedded with a project that felt, obviously she couldn't have predicted what was going on in the world, but I thought it felt very of the moment and actually wedded to a storyline that was richer than, TV shows don't need to be richer than a mother and her daughter live in a nice town Mm -hmm. and have feelings, which is what, that's the logline of Gilmore Girls show that I admire quite a bit. You don't have, not everything has to be uh-huh. 
they're putting memory pills in the pineapples. You know what I mean? Does that happen in Gilmore Girls? No, that's homecoming. Okay. But but you know what I'm saying. But this was an example of, of the best of all worlds, right? Like, for me. And for me so far in the second season, it is a lesson, one worth being reminded of now and again, that you can't, you can't tell auteurs what to do. They're going to do what they want to do, and that's okay when you are operating at a level of writing and direction and casting and everything else that the Sherman Palladinos are. And I say that because this second season begins with some shit that's like deep, deep fifth season stuff. What do you mean? They go to Paris? Yeah. <laughs> that's fucking fifth season shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like maybe the timetable's different now because they've got that they've got that that Bezos guap. Mm-hmm. You know, like they'll just they won them an Emmy, so they can do what they want. Yeah. Um, and you should take that for sure. And but use isn't the opportunity. that her jam? Is it like Amy Sherman it's, Palladino stays in mid-flight? Like it's it's like part of the joy of it is that there are like Allison wrote about this today, but there there are like three love interests hovering around the main storyline. Well, it's just that are, she's in love with all of the yeah. story all of the time, and it almost feels like in excess. And it, what the thing about Paris, I'm saying, is like, sure, how great for her to film in Paris and to bring these characters in Paris and Tony Shalhoub and Marin Hinkle in Paris is delightful. But what's weird about it is that it is a complete digression about Mrs. Maisel's parents, of whom we've really seen very little other than as reactive pieces. So suddenly to devote the bulk of the first two episodes of the second season to them exploring the eccentricities of their relationship in fucking Paris (laughs) is wild. And there's like long sequences where, I mean, it actually does pay off. Yes. But the the first sort of three quarters of the opening episode of the the second season is like them not understanding French. Yes. And other people either speaking French to them or another person having to translate bits into English or yeah. into French for other people. And so it, it it does pay off at the end in her comedy gig at this French nightclub. Mm-hmm. But you're watching it and you're just like, I got it. Like, you could just throw the subtitles on. Like it, it, <laughs> It's a lot. And similarly, and I think Allison wrote about this as well, what is the sh- there's a, there's a There's a lot of moments in the season so far where it's like, well, wait, what is the show about? Is this a forward-moving, serialized storyline about a young woman's journey? Or is it that plus time? Meanwhile, Susie. Yeah, right. But right, plus right. time for bits and hijinks yeah. and like and and pastry course and everything else. It's a lot. But that's the nature of the show. It's a lot. And it's not as if uh Amy Sherman Palladino and her husband Daniel are going to suddenly be in a place where there really are no creative limitations and be like, let's focus. Mm-hmm. Why should they? They've earned the right to just do what they want with these characters and stuff. So I, I guess this is, for me, the, the journey this season so far, I still love to watch the show. It is a pleasure. But it feel it is slightly less sharp. Mm-hmm. I think there was a sharpness, both in the writing, but also in the momentum of that first season that I really admired, particularly. And, and I think the show is still at its best when it goes back to that. There's a moment in the second episode where she is in a club gig and she's mistreated by the male comedians and then she gets her comeuppance in a way with mustard on her dress. That To me, that's the heart of the show. But other people, your mileage may vary. Other people's heart of the show might be, you know, Paris. Well, I think that I, I pretty much agree with you. I would just phrase it differently. You're like, this is some stuff that would happen in the fifth season. I feel like this is a show that is in its second season that knows it's going to have a fifth season. Right. So maybe pump the brakes a little bit. <laughs> it, it maybe was like, we can't go to LA yet 
you know, we we can't do the Draper in California storyline just yet. We want to like kind of like move at the pace that we want to move at. Yes, I I, I think that's right. I, I also just think like, Jesus, but it almost sounds like they, we're not. We don't like the show. I love the show. Yeah. I'm so happy it's back. I think Rachel Brosnahan's incredible. I watch it. And I'm like, these dudes just went to Paris and then turned did a period piece in Paris. I mean, of all the things that Bezos has spent money on, like, I think Washington Post number one. Yeah. That might be like that's top five, right? That this show, just 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 letting them like set deck. Well, it definitely isn't Paris. the slow cooker that I bought from oh. Amazon. <laughs> oh, we, can we do Chris's cooking corner? <laughs> no, did I you don't. get a slow cooker? No, that was how I made the wet chicken. Oh, right, right, yeah. I, you know, I feel like what we're having here. Let's 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 just take a let's take a second, <laughs> guys. I think Kaya you, thinks she's on acid. Can right we bring now. everybody? Bring everybody in. So. The subtext to all this is Chris, is Chris is experimenting in the kitchen a little bit, which uh-huh. I think we should support. Uh-huh. All of us. Sure. I think this is exciting. I think this is a new, it's a new chapter for you. Mm-hmm. And you've been asking me repeatedly for like a recipe. You claim you have. Well, the thing is, Chris, now I'm going to blow your mind here. There is no recipe. I don't, I don't work with recipes. So why don't you just tell me that like, I work the, with the first time I texted you and said, and can I have the miso maple chicken recipe? What I'm saying is, Get some miso. Get some maple syrup. What about the chicken that came out soaking wet makes you think that I can go off recipe? Well, nothing. That's why. <laughs> For your own good. No, no, forget you. For your wife's own good, I have not given you what you need because you're not, you're not ready yet. Oh. You're asking oh, for the secrets I here. I see. It's the master and the pupil here. I'm saying you can come over, you know, and, and watch, watch young galloping gourmet here. You know, a little, little dash of this, a little sprinkle of that. It's a fucking marinade. Why can't you just give me the recipe? You know what it is. There's no recipe. I'll give you the ingredients. Okay. It, what is it? You want me to do that now? We, we have to fill time. Let's go. <laughs> we don't have to fill time. We, we, no, we I'm have just one of like, the best films of the year to talk about. <laughs> Let's go. Really quickly, it's miso. Yeah. Maple. A uh, little maple syrup. Honey. Sure. No, you don't need two sweeteners. You could do honey instead of maple. Of maple. Yeah. Uh, garlic. Uh, you could. I don't. This is maddening. You could put a little rice wine vinegar in there. You could put a little citrus if you choose. For a bite. For a little, yeah, a little, little acidity. Kind. Um, is this a top 10 bit from the year? I'd, have, I'd say so. <laughs> the, fa- the fans want this. What I'm saying this. is, Chris, you don't want my miso maple chicken. So when I'm just you saying, want, wait, Andy, say, why did you wait three months to tell me this? Because it didn't come up on the podcast until now. And this is where our high value targets, this is what we really talk about. What I'm saying is, Chris, look into your heart. What is this, Captain Phillips? What are you talking about? You don't about? want my maple miso chicken recipe. You want yours. All right. What I'm saying is go ahead and get it, Padawan. (laughs) Let's talk about the favorite before we go. Am I your favorite? Look at me! (laughs) Dude, I fucking love this movie. This is a great movie. Uh, Set set the table for this movie because I feel like people, it might not be playing in people's cities, mm -hmm. so they might might not be on their radar yet. If it has crossed your radar, you might see a poster, you might see that it's spelled the English way, and you might be like, nah, that's not for me. I think it's probably is. I think it probably is. For if you me. like Succession, if you like, uh, if you like Veep, if you like really just rich people being syphilitic assholes <laughs> and 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 just completely undressing one another verbally, and also in in the boudoir, uh, I, I just this movie is just delightful. I think it might be an acquired taste. What I would say is that uh, watching the three. Watching Olivia Coleman and Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz, it's like it's like playing NBA Jam. 
It's like they've just cleared out everything mm-hmm. else for these three actresses. And the, the sets, while opulent because mm-hmm. they filmed in these palaces, mm-hmm. are, are are very spare. Like, it's almost like Lars von Trier. Like, they're just acting on a bare stage There's and so sometimes. Much space. And they have so much space to operate in. And the cameras almost feel like CCTV at time. Like, the way that they're, like, just mm-hmm. sort of panning around these rooms with their different lenses. But it's essentially just, like, ISO for Olivia Colman, Rachel Weisz, and Emma Stone. And they are all on the same wavelength in their performances. Like, they're each playing these different bits, but, like, they are all like, okay, we're going to go do this thing. This is the tone we're going to search for. And, I I mean, it's it's just such a, like, absolutely delightful watch. I want to be clear for our listeners. Even though it's about, like, having gout. I think... I think that our listeners are ready for this. I have because I've been making my own miso maple syrup. <laughs> making it wrong. Yeah. Also, because you're adding honey to your maple syrup. <laughs> just a, just a, a pinch of gout. That that's yeah. going to give you some some definite like blood sugar. If issues. you do maple syrup and honey, what are you doing? No, no, just it's not just that it's like NBA Jam. I just want people to be clear that this is like peak '95. You choose Orlando Magic, and Scott Skiles is on fire. <laughs> His entire body. <laughs> He's literally a flame yeah. Yeah, yeah. as he shoots three balls and like passes it to Shaq. You rarely get to see performances like this in a movie where not just not just one, two, three, A plus 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 performances, but they are they are running quite a high speed offense together. Yeah. They are so good. And for people who, who we didn't even explain this. So Yorgos Lanthimos is a he's a former theater director turned movie director. His movies are Arch, I would say. They're funny and horrifying. Dog often tooth, equal the measure. lobster, and the killing of the sacred deer. Love the lobster. That of, of those that you mentioned. I think if you like that, you'll definitely like this. If you didn't like that, you should still give this a shot. It is historical in that the characters are based on actual people, and the vibe is certainly taken from historical record, where Olivia Coleman plays Queen Anne near the end of her short and unhappy reign. <laughs> and Rachel Weisz plays uh, Lady Marlborough, who was her close confidant. Yeah, uh, but is basically acting like Lucy Liu in Kill Bill. Like, she's just walking around, like, swinging word swords at people. <laughs> and then uh, Emma Stone shows up as a kind of fallen and disgraced cousin of Rachel Weisz's character who ingratiates herself into the palace and then eventually with the queen. Yeah, This shit is savage. It is sexual. It is funny. It is horrifying at times. And it is nothing if not entertaining on the highest level throughout. Yeah. From I mean, it is so expertly conceived and shot. Emma Stone is just really on one. And it's... The How thing about Nicholas Holt, too? Nicholas Holt is amazing in it. Yeah. Mark Gaddis as well in a small role. I just You look at this and it's like, this was really hard to do mm-hmm. on this level. It's kind of... You kind of just want to step back and applaud because to... To get this tone so exactly right and just pull it off for two hours that feel quick, a tight two, mm-hmm. it's really a marvel. It's really a marvel. And I guess you could say that there's there's some elements of it where you watch just patently ridiculous people wearing foppish wigs doing ridiculous things while the fates of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of common people or normal people are... Not just ignored, but belittled and mocked oh, yeah. from far, far, far away. If you were the sort of person that needs to have that that Law and Order bum bum like drawn from the headline stuff, you could do that. Sure. I mean, this is definitely a movie that fits right in in our current era. 
But it actually is just like, well, here's a perfectly conceived thing. Please enjoy it. And, yeah. and, and I think that's probably the more the better recommendation to make. I couldn't put it any better. Okay, so we obviously are head over heels for the favorite. We highly recommend the second season of Marvelous's Basil. Do we? I feel like you don't. I've watched one episode. Oh, well, before you watch the second, just add a dollop of honey. Okay. <laughs> just sweeten it up a little bit. We'll be back on Monday. Until then, thanks for listening. Brains. Young diabetes over here. I worry about you. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Sonos. Meet Sonos Beam, the smart compact soundbar for your TV. Beam lets you fill the room with rich sounds of everything you love, from music and radio to movies, TV, podcasts, and more. It's the holiday season, so I feel like every time I step into my apartment, my wife has the Sonos pumping with Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra. It's really quite cheerful, I have to say. And then if I'm like, you know what, I could use a break from Bing Crosby, I can always turn something else on in another room and she can still have the holiday spirit pumping. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and order your Sonos Beam to start your smart home sound system. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. With three times the points on travel and two times the points on other purchases, the flagship rewards card makes little excursions feel like the trip of a lifetime. Earn rewards, whether it's a weekend getaway, a short road trip, or even your daily commute, and you can redeem points for cash or travel and enjoy access to Navy Federal's online shopping center where you can earn extra rewards at your favorite retailers. Check out NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply now. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA.